0: Hello, my name's Tom Boone. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest from the world of commercial aviation. This week, I'll chat with James, our route specialist about everything routes, while Joe enjoys winter in South Africa. So let's get on with the show. And James, welcome. Thank you very much, Tom. I was wondering if you could sort of just start by giving a bit of a brief background about yourself and how you ended up working with us at Simple Flying
1: well i guess the first place to start is that i've loved aviation for 20 25 years or possibly more uh, mainly because of my dad who got me into it and after university i studied air transport management at two universities in the uk i then um, taught airline strategy and economics at university level for five or so years and worked for london luton airport in uh, new route opportunities and ultimately started to do more analysis and worked up here with um, Simple Flying, and each day I produce at least three articles focused on root-related subjects.
0: Exactly. Well, um, I mean, let's talk about roots. I mean, on the surface, you know, to your average reader, it mm. might seem like a bit of a boring subject, but, you know, if anyone's read your articles, they'll know it's not. And um, you know, I wanted to tell you, uh, wanted you to tell me what particularly excites you about the world of airline routes, and why it's not just a case of this is just a thing that happens, and let's not care about it.
1: Well, you you make a pretty good point, I think, Tom. Um, I don't think people appreciate that without routes, you have no airline, whether cargo or or passenger, and therefore ultimately you don't have many commercial airports. You know, routes go to the heart of absolutely everything. They connect everything by definition, you know, not just in terms of transporting passengers and therefore socially and in that, uh, in that communication sense, but also economically. Routes make the world go round. And ultimately, that's why we keep seeing more and more um, materialising everywhere in the world. It drives passenger numbers, it drives businesses, and it drives everything else.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can see, you know, like, I'm always um, wondering how there's so much Root news, um, you know, like, um, we see your three stories a day, and like, it's always something different. Um, And, you know, like, that's 15 different stories about Roots a week, you know, like, this shows how much is sort of going on in the sphere.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's also important to appreciate that everyone loves the aeroplane side, but without routes, you wouldn't need any aeroplanes. So therefore, if you imagine a business, which is what an airline is, ultimately, right at the heart is the routes and everything comes away from the routes.
0: And I mean, you know, we've seen a lot of returning routes recently, um, but let's talk about um new routes for example you know um you may be thinking how does an airline plan a route and i'm guessing they don't just throw a dart a map on the wall and see uh, oh let's fly a route to this tiny island in the atlantic ocean or so um so how, how do routes come about how do they decide where they're going to go and why
1: We could spend ages talking
0: about this. We have a lot Um, of time, so be my guest.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We could spend ages and ages talking about this, but ultimately it depends really on the type of airline that you're talking about. Um, If we talk about very complex airlines like Network Airlines, Lufthansa, Emirates, British Airways and all the rest, they do it in a very, very, very detailed way, typically potentially even taking years to make a decision. You know, they look at passenger and cargo traffic. They look at average fares, the size of point to point demand, for example, between London and New York only. They look at passenger traffic flying to and from their hubs. They, they actually capture over the hubs. Alliance traffic, the market share, the airline wishes or hopes to gain, rather, because of its schedule, its product, and all the rest. You know, and then more general things: is it a growth market? How seasonal is the market? And many more. And then, if you look at the other end of the spectrum, if you look, for example, at European ultra-low-cost carriers, with Air Ryanair and so on, it's quite simple and quite quick in comparison. When I worked at Luton Airport, for example, they would require very little information from you. They make typically make decisions very quickly. I mean. You'll appreciate, I'm sure, that most ULCC routes are driven by leisure demand, you know, going on holiday, or driven by visiting friends and relatives demand, for example, ethnic travel, you know, and they do this mainly for one reason, because these markets can grow much more with lower prices than business markets. So it's all about stimulating new route opportunities, all about stimulating demand. Um, I think it's very important to mention airport. Deals and incentives, you know, I was looking at today at Birmingham, for example, with Ryanair today, they didn't grow that for years and years and years to any real degree, because they wouldn't have got sufficiently low charges, incentives and fees. And as soon as they did negotiate that, of course, exponential growth. So it always comes down to deals with ultra low cost carriers, particularly in Europe.
0: I mean, we saw in Frankfurt as soon as the the Ryanair deal ran out, they were out quicker than a, a, a I don't know a fast thing. <laughs> no, absolutely, and that's completely
1: and that is completely right. Particularly, <laughs> and we've seen it time and time again. Particularly if there are alternative airports located nearby, of course, then they can play one off against the other. But unlike uh, network airlines, they're very like this, typically speaking, in Europe, um, where they always try to get the upper hand. In negotiation, therefore, they have the power to drive through what they want. And if they don't get what they want, like you said, they are quick to not grow or to pull out entirely. And then, of course, you have loads of unserved markets. You know, with my former airport hat on, um, an airport sells its catchment area. How many people are in that catchment? Where do they go? And how basically, how rich are they? And you can use all that really cool information to convince airlines to fly particular routes that are very demanded but unserved from your airport.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really fascinating. I know you sort of mentioned briefly the um, the sort of difference between low-cost and full-service. Um, obviously, there's sort of very different models because you have more of a hub-and-spoke with full-service. You know, like Lufthansa um, flies out of Frankfurt, it flies out of Hamburg, um, Munich, sorry. Whereas, um, you know, you've got Ryanair flies out of Stansted, it flies out of Hahn, it flies out of Milan, it flies out of Riga, you name it. There's probably a Ryanair um, <coughs> airport nearby how does the difference cuz surely it's much more restrictive for someone like lufthansa to launch a new route um and i understand that's why they're putting the more time in there but how much difference does it make um to sort of the the, the 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 possibilities of the airline like would it be of benefit to say lufthansa fly out of hamburg um on a specific high demand route um, well
1: quite possibly you know you see that quite a lot in the usa don't you where they fly out of where they fly non-hub routes, although they're obviously in the minority for economic reasons. Um, yeah, yeah, you can kind of half understand it, but the, um, Lufthansa is, is a good example because they, they segment their market really well. So of course, as you know, living in Germany, um, they use Eurowings for a lot of their non-core services and they use Eurowings, increasingly use Eurowings Discover as well, a slightly different operator to do a similar kind of role. I'm not sure I would necessarily see Lufthansa itself doing that because they have high costs, therefore they need high fares. I think they would instead shift it to a better platform to
0: mm. And another sort of key part of routes is which planes are flying routes. You know, um, there's a very different, um, a different. You know, like flying a max from the west coast east. East Coast of Canada to the UK versus flying a 787—it's a completely different experience for passengers, and also, I guess, it changes the whole dynamics of the pricing of uh, making your profit because it costs a lot more to run a wide body per hour. So, how how do airlines really decide um, which aircraft to fly on these routes, and sort of especially in with the sort of uh, longer um, the longer range narrow bodies that we're now seeing? As opposed to the uh, the wide bodies, you know, when is an airline going to say we'll go for that or we'll go for that? Mm.
1: Well, I think a good starting place for this kind of topic is to think if you're a full service or a network airline, you have a typically a selection of aircraft, of course, and then you'll be you'll be thinking I have this route, what aircraft do I need for this route? But just to twist it around, ultra low cost carriers will be thinking, hang on, I have this aircraft, typically one, of course, maybe maybe a couple in the same broad theory, uh, in the same board model, and they're thinking, I have this aircraft, where can I fly? They think the other way around. Um, but generally speaking, what aircraft you'll use depend on the nature and the size of the market, of course. What kind of, bus- kind of travellers are actually travelling? Is it leisure, is it business? What con- aircraft configurations will be required for that targeted demand? And ultimately, they'll be doing loads of complicated calculations about aircraft economics and range and overall performance. Plus, of course, something that you might not necessarily think of, what about aircraft actual availability? Because if you do this with it, you can't do something else with it necessarily. Um, So it's always coming back to that balance of what can we do best with the aircraft? How can we use it most effectively? And you are completely right with what you said, aircraft choice would massively influence how they do, Um, how full they are relative to demand, how um, it'll drive passenger cargo load factor depending on (laughs) amount of cargo space and ultimately drive this weird concept called yields and if they're all kind of out of sync for example with the wrong aircraft or flying too often with two bigger aircraft then of course it's going to massively impact performance overall Mm.
0: yeah i mean um you know it always surprises me when the a380 is coming to frankfurt and that's purely because there's the cargo demand they're not even flying passengers on that um when ba's flying it over here so um You know, speaking of the A380, all of our podcast listeners, I'm sure, would be devastated if I didn't bring it up. Um, You know, it was especially helpful at unlocking capacity in Heathrow. Um, You know, BA, that's one of the reasons they're keeping It's because, you know, rather than flying two 777s to LA, you fly one A380 and then you've got a slot to fly something else somewhere else. You know, and we've seen like uh, Emirates was straight in there, bringing theirs back to Heathrow. Qatar, even against their will, supposedly, has brought that back to Heathrow. Um, Do you think some of these airlines that have retired the A380 that used to fly it to these big hub airports like Heathrow are going to be hurting uh, when the demand really uh, recovers?
1: Well, I think you make an excellent point on this. the, The entire purpose of the 380 originally, of course, was to... Bring more capacity into a lim- into limited slot airports, and in that on that basis, as things recover, of course, as demand returns and ex- then exceeds. No one talks about exceeding pre levels, but as it exceeds and grows forward in the next in the coming years, and of course, the situation is going to be there. You know, airport capacity isn't going to massively increase.
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, of, until we get the this um, third runway at Heathrow one day, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and I was interesting. I was be
1: retired by then.
0: Yeah, I was doing the numbers yesterday, and Heathrow um, for June—I think it was June 2022—is already at 85 percent of the number of departures it had in 2020, 2019. So, you know, it really it is ramping on. up, and there's only 15 percent until we get to that point.
1: And of course, and it absolutely will return. And then, you know, in five, 10 years' time, we'll be well past all of this level at the moment. And the exact same same old question will recur, will recur. How on earth do we actually benefit from our slots that we have at a massively slot-constrained airport? And what can we actually do with it? How can we actually grow? And otherwise, you're kind of snookered.
0: Yeah. So you think um, some of these airlines are perhaps going to regret just saying goodbye to the A380 so quickly or? Um,
1: Quite possibly. I mean, on the one hand, you have the environmental challenges, don't you? You have fuel efficiency, especially with still record high fuel prices. So you have those things to consider as well. But, you know, they're probably quite reasonably happy at the moment, I'm guessing, although demand is increasingly returning. Going forward, I think it'd be more of a challenge unless of course they can somehow mysteriously acquire more slots.
0: Yeah. Or more secondhand A380s. <laughs> no, I don't think that's going to happen. But um, I mean, speaking about slots, um, I'm going to sort of go off the path here. But um, slots are a sort of really important topic in Roots, I guess. Um, you know, we see when Heathrow slots are sold, they can go for millions of dollars or hundreds of millions or whatnot. Um, why Why are slots so important, though, In to your sort of average reader who's maybe not clued up on what a slot is and so much?
1: Well, a slot, very simply, is something is an is the right to take off and to land. But it doesn't just relate to a runway; it also relates to ground infrastructure um, and the uh, the availability of it to actually operate. And slots effectively um, are about managing peak capacity when airports are very very busy. So, for example, airports in Greece. Will have no slots during the winter. You know, no one really flies here internationally. But during the peak summer, they'll be enormously slot constrained because they're so heavily demanded relative to the actual capacity of the airport. So that really is why. And then, if you combine combine unavailability of slots with massive demand, like in Heathrow, then of course you have this market pressure. When I'm an airline, I want to pay massive amounts of money in order to, in order to access one of the best markets in the world. Mm.
0: And I mean, it was quite interesting because when we saw Norwegian got its Heathrow slots, uh, they actually ended up saying thanks, but no thanks to those. Um, do you think there's, um, like if if an airport gets such in-demand slots, is there sort of a business case just for taking the slots for the sake of taking them? Or would you say, you know, like you should always kind of think like Norwegian said, and like, we don't really, they don't really fit us right now. So thanks, but no thanks.
1: Um, well, I think it kind of depends, doesn't it? If you're a an airline from the Far East, for example, where prestige is more important, they'll probably prioritise that. If, however, you don't want to pay eye-watering sums of of money just in terms of passenger charges plus airport plus runway charges, landing charges, then of course you might well rethink it, as Norwegian and others have done in the past. So it's always about balancing more things. Um, I can't imagine, for example, particular airlines in Africa would be would would want to stay at
0: Gatwick versus Heathrow. Mm. Yeah, it's always a a really interesting thing. And it surprises me, you know, like with um, all of the slots that are so difficult to come by in London, you know, before the pandemic, we were kind of talking about how Stansted was starting to ever so slightly edge its way out as with a few Mm. long haul destinations. Uh, Emirates was there. Um, I think LL had just gone in, Air India had gone in. And then obviously all of this stopped Six months later or so with the pandemic, um, how many airports does London need in your opinion for all of this? Because I know when we mentioned South the sixth London airport, <laughs> quite a lot of people sometimes are like, That's not in London. Um, well, that's a very hard question to answer. Yeah, I sorry, think, um, I'm just off the top of my head. I thought it was yeah. really interesting, and I'm no, like, If anyone knows, question. James is I gonna think,
1: know. Yeah, but I think you, you have to step back a bit and realize major, um, metropolises, you know, New York, Moscow, and so on, they all have multiple airports catering to different areas of the city, of the broad city, broad metro area, and that's no different. You know, L- Luton in North-ish London, um, Stansted in, in the East, Gatwick, South, Heathrow West, London City in the centre, and so on and so on. Um, you know, so they do have their own local catchment areas. are very important where people, you know, a catchment area, ultimately, you can define in millions of ways, but a good way to think about it is, if you know how many people live closest to one particular airport then that would be your catchment size and then you can go from there um so yeah i mean the case you mentioned about south end that's a really good example because as other london airports were filling up pre-pandemic then to expand, airlines were thinking, well, hang on, we can't obtain slots elsewhere at the required times. We have to think slightly differently, slightly more creatively. So they pursued places like South End, which when I last checked now has only 4% of the flights they used to have, you know, almost nothing, which is a tragedy ultimately. Um, and also you mentioned Stansted with, with more long haul routes. But again, it's a similar reason. Air India wanted to, of course, fly more to Heathrow, but they couldn't. So therefore, they had to think outside of the box. So I think, in terms of long haul routes, it's always, almost always, going to be Heathrow and Gatswick without question. But as things build up and build up and build up again, maybe a bit more
0: creativity. Okay. So um, last question: If you were going to launch an airline tomorrow from London, I'm not giving you any parameters like low cost or long haul or short haul, whatnot. Which airport would you choose? <laughs> you could have unlimited slots.
1: Okay. Well, I'd probably well, that that <laughs> that's very, very hard to answer yeah. because it all depends, it depends on the details, on what, of course. What, yeah. But um I'm actually gonna let me have a think. I'm not actually gonna give you a proper answer, to be honest. I'm gonna say it depends entirely on the kind of airline you are how important business travelers are to you without dictate how much you can actually afford to pay ultimately in charges and, and um, where you can gain massive access or sufficient
0: access. Mm. Well, I think that's about all today. Did, was there anything else you wanted to add on the topics of routes or slots or anything else?
1: No, no, just keep reading my stuff and um, send me some messages and then we can, we can increase knowledge of routes.
0: Mm. well i think that's about all we've got time for today we hope you enjoyed it and we welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com for more great content you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media simply search for simple flying if you enjoyed this podcast please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player thanks for joining us james thank you very much bye-bye
1: bye-bye